Welcome into the Aftershock. Pretty full crew here tonight. Alex Morgan, Robert Jonas, and the man with the plan. It is his season, Colinette Nyer. Good to have you guys here. What might be our final show of the year? I mean, unless some, some big surprise comes in or uh, some reason to all jump back on. But I uh, hope everyone has a great holiday season. And we'll say maybe more about that at the end of the show kind of reflect back on 2023 but let's get this kicked off the quakes announced on friday a number of pretty big decisions it, it felt like the biggest meatiest meatiest update we've gotten in terms of a, of a roster decision uh set of decisions uh in probably two three years um uh, colin you're the man who this is this is your time of year you live for this stuff i'm gonna kick it off to you just we're going to get into the details, but you're just very first when you when you saw it, like what stuck out at you the most? Well, uh, there's, a, there's a football manager, the popular management video game that you used to manage rosters. If you, especially if you're going for a lower league team, you know that that those contract expiries at the end of the year, that's kind of the valuable time to start making moves um, because it sets up everything else you do. Uh, it's it's the time you're basically setting the table for what your next season is. And we, we talked a little bit off camera right before this about why exactly executives do that. Uh, but this is this is the time you prepare yourself for what's coming. Um, and that means you're going to take some hard decisions and they let a lot of people go. Uh, they declined a lot of options. They you know, there's a lot of contract expertise in there. It's going to clear a lot of space. Uh, and actually, if you look at it, the, the current roster uh, I actually just pulled it up in, in front of me a second ago. You know, I, I think I count it here that they have eight senior slots unfilled on the senior roster right now. Um, and, you know, that shows you like how how thoroughly the decks have been cleared. It doesn't mean, of course, and we know every year that just because uh, someone had their option decline doesn't mean that they won't return to the club. You know, Tommy Thompson has come down, uh, come back after that. Judson came back this year after that. Um, but it really, you know, it was a, it was a big big deck cleaning you know they swept out a lot uh this was uh it's not entirely unexpected there was a couple of names that i was perhaps a little bit surprised were on the decline list um and maybe even some i was a little bit surprised to see that they were on the option picked up list um but overall the the scale of the clear out wasn't surprising in part because this is the end of lucci season one you know lucci had one preseason to work with the guys and could make a couple of moves about what he thought and he certainly had watched the team, you know, and watched their film and kind of understood what he was walking into. Um, but you really don't know your guys and your roster until you have a year of them playing under you. Um, and so I think that this, you know, this is a this is a reflection of, OK, Lucci has had a year to evaluate this roster. Here are some, you know, given the options that are available to him, this is what what they chose to do. So I think that it's not unexpected that the after the year one is the big clear out rather than before year one. Jamin, Jamin, if you ever wonder why Colin is able to deliver such sober, level-headed analysis, it's because he's made every single one of these decisions and run through every single one of these scenarios like six or seven times in Football Manager. That is absolutely true. He's already true. been through it all. <laughs> well, we don't know that Chris Leach isn't doing the same thing. Maybe Chris Leach has done it 10 times in Football Manager. I would love yeah. to see how many hours each Major League Soccer general manager has logged in that game. That that should be included on the Athletic GM survey next year. That, that'd be good. That, that'd be good. Robert, uh, you didn't get to join us for the uh, year-end show. You've been through, my goodness, how many of these uh, decisions? Like, where did this one kind of rank just in terms of, as Colin mentioned, a bit of a deck clearing? 
Do you recall one, uh, at least in recent years, where you felt like it was potentially as impactful to the uh, the future roster state as the one that we saw this this past week? I think I think like Colin mentioned, I think what impressed me the most is how many of the bigger names uh, are are in that now, you know, on the way out or maybe they're trying to renegotiate with, you know, and, and including on the DP side, which I think is an, an important uh, with uh, with Jamiro Montero, for example. Um, it I think it's an important uh, step. You know, most of the players on the uh, the I think there was uh, 23 folks that are still considered, you know, uh, on the full roster. Um, a lot of those are the uh, the homegrowns, you know, players that you know they're going to keep. They're not cutting the homegrowns uh, left, right, and center. They did get a, you know have a few uh, uh, options declined, but just you know players that you could be penciling in in your in your regular match day eighteen. You know, we're seeing a few of those uh, those leave, and I know we'll talk about them. But a player like uh, um, uh, Miguel Trauco, I think, is a, is a really important name to bring up. Um, you know, a name we didn't see a lot in terms of field of presence last year, but uh, Nathan, you know, a player that was expected to be the the rock and the center of the the defense, you know, again, option decline, not necessarily done with the quakes, but, you know, in, in a position where now, you know, they're, they're probably talking to him about, uh, you know, what kind of contract they can uh, agree to. So th those to me are significant. And, and uh, you know, in terms of big house cleanings, yeah, I think with, uh, with uh, a first year, you know, done with uh, Lucci, he can he can kind of look at guys and make those decisions. You know, Chris Leach, this will be his, you know, kind of getting into the middle of his tenure as, as the full-time GM. You know, these are these are important decisions for him to make, you know, if he's going to be uh, looking for his own contract contract extension in, uh, in the near future. So I was impressed. I was impressed that they were willing to make some of those cuts and uh, a few of the players they kept uh, maybe a little surprised. Uh, I think we'll talk about a couple of those. Like, Benji Kanovich is an interesting name for me. But overall, yeah, I think it's uh, some sound business. All right. And Alex, uh, you had had some feelings in terms of the particularly, I think the loan situation is one that maybe you were eyeing up there a little bit. Uh, Matthew Hoppe uh, not coming back, at least not under the current deal that he had. Um, it also looks like they're walking away from Io Akinola, but Rodriguez. Looks like they are executing that option. Um, was that the biggest news for you in there, or was there something else in there that stuck out to you? Well, I, I think the, the biggest things that caught my eye were the decision uh, to not renew on Trauco, uh, the decision to not re renew on Hoppy in Montero. Those are probably the three players uh, who had the, the most impact last season, who are not currently salaried for the for the San Jose Earthquakes for, for 2024. Now, when I first saw those announcements, I was thinking, wow, this is a pretty big cut. This is pretty bold from Chris Leach. Uh, good for him. He's, he's looking for a, a pretty big overall heading into 2024. At the end of the season, we talked to Luigi Gonzalez, and he said they only needed a few adjustments, a few tweaks, for the next season. But this is this is more than just a few adjustments and, and a few tweaks. Now, there is you know a pretty big asterisk there. And that asterisk is that some of these players might still be returning. As you said, Matthew Hoppy might still be returning if they can figure out a new transfer deal for him. Jamir Montero might still be returning if they get him on a really favorable contract. Miguel Trauco might still be returning if they can get a, a salary cut for him. So there's ongoing negotiations that are happening. This is not 
the final say for any of those players. I think, uh, you know, until you get official confirmation that they're elsewhere, uh, these still could be kind of open negotiations. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, some important, important points for those who are, you know, new to MLS and everyone's kind of referred to it. And just because an option is declined doesn't mean that a player can't come back next season. It typically means that the club would like to try to get them on a more favorable deal to the club in the way that MLS roster mechanisms work. Uh, there is a bit more power in the hands of the club than there are the players. The free agency much more limited than other uh, sports in the United States, for example. Um, in fact, Miguel, or I'm sorry, um, uh, uh, Jamero Montero doesn't even qualify for free agency, although Jonathan Mensa does, and the club said that he will be entering free agency. Um, but it takes a, a good bit uh, of time in the league uh, to be able to, to get that ability to do free agency. So there is something coming up called the reentry draft. And uh, there's also um, a bona fide offer that was extended. And Colin, I'm going to look to you because one of the players that I think all of us felt good took a big step forward in 2023 was Jack Skane. Um, unfortunately, you know, his momentum derailed by a couple of injuries at different times, but um, he was a recipient of a bona fide offer. And I'm going to look to you to try to help us through, like, what is the point of a bona fide offer to the, to the extent that you can explain it? And what does that mean in terms of, of the reentry draft and player rights and things like that? Yeah, basically the bona fide offer, it's, it's a, a very mechanical process. So this it doesn't mean there was like a tribunal that decided that the offer was bona fide. It's actually just a number. So I believe it's 30% above their previous salary. Um, and it's basically a mechanism to ensure that clubs aren't holding a player at the club against their will, you know, without extending them a real offer uh, to, to play, you know, for that club. Now, of course, 30% above the previous season's salary doesn't necessarily equate to fair value. Clearly, Jack Skein believes that he's better value than 30% above his previous season's salary, which is fair enough, by the way, because his salary last year was 88 grand, which is, you know, I'm not saying that's bad money for a mid-20s kid to be making, but, you know, in MLS terms, that is like a very back-of-the-end reserve roster. So add 30% to that, that's just over 100 grand. He probably thinks he's worth a bit more than that, uh, and so... You know, I think that's fair enough. But basically, the MLS mechanism is you put this offer in, and it's similar to a qualifying offer in baseball, uh, just at a much lower uh, rate that's kind of indexed to the original salary of the player. Um, uh, so that that uh, that qualified offer mechanism is basically just to make sure that a, a player isn't trapped without a contract at the home team. Uh, he therefore that kind of allows them retain his MLS rights. Um, anyway. That being said, I, I can't imagine that they aren't trying to look for something decent for him, uh, you know, to, to bring him back, partially because, you know, and I've said this before, he's kind of an odd player in his playing style. He would not fit in every single system. You know, uh, you know, some players, you know, you can comfortably say they would fit anywhere just fine. I think that, you know, he would have to, he if if I'm him, if I'm his agent, I'm saying we got to look for a situation where you're going to fit well with what they do. Uh, and so, and, you know, he doesn't qualify for free agency yet. So I'm sure that he's going to do his best uh, to kind of find the right thing for that. Uh, but it's basically, it's a purely, you know, it's a purely mechanical thing um, that you shouldn't read too far. And it's just the Quakes basically doing their part to reserve his rights. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we will see how that turns out. Um, 
Uh, hopefully there'll be uh, some announcement that we will we will get coming down the line here, ideally before even the end of the year, that uh, they've come to terms, you know, on a deal. And of course, at any time, uh, players who are out of out of contract or had their option declined, I should say, uh, you know, we 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 could we could really hear at any time that that they've also been been signed to a new deal as well. Alex, looking like you're biting to say something there. You're saying that pretty dispassionately, Jamin. When I think there's probably no player I feel stronger about than Jack Skane and bringing back Jack Skane. Oh, absolutely. Right now, if they don't bring back Jameer Montero, this team has no other player who can play in that 10 position reliably on the books. They're most likely going to be, I think, getting rid of Montero and getting in like a DP level number 10. That's something that we've been talking about for ages now. But that's a risk, right? That's a risk. And a player that you know can perform there and who is one of San Jose's best players at the end of last season should be brought back. Right. He's he's making 88 grand. And, and I don't even think Colin did it justice. That's like fourth lowest, I think, on the entire San Jose roster right now. That's behind a lot of the kind of homegrown players that haven't even seen first team minutes ever like the, you know, the 17 and 18 year olds. So he deserves a significant raise and the Quakes need to bring him back. And that's something I feel pretty strongly about. OK. And then, uh, Robert, you referred to it. So uh, before. Uh, we got this announcement. We actually got uh, a different announcement, which was that two players, Paul Marie, Benji Kanovich, uh, were signed to deals. Uh, I think, Alex, you and I might have talked a bit about this because um, all, um, someone in, uh, from the MLS uh, media side had, I think, uh, already uh, mentioned that, uh, that they were both getting new contracts or something along those lines. For sure, Benji. Uh, and I think we knew about Paul Marie as well. But uh, officially announced uh, Paul Marie, uh, Benji Kanovich. Coming back, uh, you know, Robert, you said you found uh, maybe curious that they made the decision to bring Benji Kakanovich back. I had heard he actually had signed midseason on a new deal, and that you know, kind of injuries kind of derailed him most of the rest of the way, uh, minor injuries and such. But uh, yeah, uh, talk talk about those those two uh, signings, uh, and uh, because clearly they have a lot of confidence in Paul Marie if they're uh, declined on Miguel Traco. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think that, you know, going back to even Lucci's comments about adjustments, you know, if you look at who they kept and who they dropped, you know, you've got a decent amount of the starting lineup still under contract. Uh, you know, from the goalkeeper, you know, Danielle, you've got, uh, you know, Rodriguez now signed, which I think we should spend a little more time talking about because I think that's a huge shining in terms of, uh, you know, kind of, con you, know, you know, getting your center backs squared away. Paul Marie made a lot of starts and, and had a lot of effective minutes for this team. I mean, we were we talk about him on the Aftershock show quite a bit of post game and in his way of influencing the game and being able to play both the right and the left hand side. If they're looking at him as a, a full time starter, I think that's an interesting adjustment. I, I still think he's a, a role player for this team uh, and can spell on, on either side. So, you know, Traco was somebody I think was more reliable for, for the squad. You know, with Benji, it's, it was a tricky one. You know, a player that didn't have the productivity this year that we saw the year before. And, and I know there you know, reasons are varied for those, you know, does feel a little like a gamble or per, perhaps, you know, maybe a little more as keeping an asset uh, that you have in your in your column. 
Um, I do want to talk eventually about, uh, you know, Colin's point about flexibility when it comes to caps. You know, the, the one thing the team has yet to really capitalize is on, on transfer money and the gam you can get from that. And Benji may be the kind of guy you're holding all around to maybe get some of that if you don't feel he's going to be a, a field product piece. So if that's the case, then maybe it's a, it makes sense if it's to, uh, and if they got him under a good contract, again, it still makes sense. But uh, he doesn't really kind of rate highly on the list or at least it doesn't feel like the kind of player that you're looking at to make a make a contribution this year. Paul Murray, can't argue with that. I think that's a great deal for this team. Colin, I want to talk a little bit about Miguel Traco's situation because first off, you know, maybe you have a perspective about outside backs and their value in this league. It's it's not uncommon for teams to try to move on from pricier outside back contracts. There's a general perception that as a position, they are the lowest value position on the field. And so Miguel Tarko at his age on a contract that was 550K last year, in some ways it's surprising to see his name uh, you know, mentioned here because it wasn't really something we discussed. At the same time, 550 is a lot of money. Uh, is this probably a price consideration? Do you think like they would love to have him back if they can get him back on one that is on a deal that is closer to what his value is at his age uh, for an outside back in MLS? The, the short answer is yes, absolutely. I, I, I'm quite confident that they would take it. They probably are, as we speak, trying to bring him back on a, on a lower number. Uh, one interesting piece of context, though, is Carlos Sacapo, who's on the other side, plays the exact same position and is a touch younger, but not significantly younger, and on the exact same salary, was brought back on an option. Um, and by the way, if, I'll take like a one brief zoom back second here uh, for table setting uh, for option season. One thing to keep in mind for option season for everyone you know who's watching tonight, the options are by definition larger than their previous year's salary and sometimes can actually be quite a lot larger. And in fact, there's there's a, a kind of ongoing legal action in Europe uh, about what uh, what is legal for an option to be in Europe. Generally an option must be significantly more than a previous year because otherwise it's considered unfair to give team control uh, over a salary in that way. So uh, MLS options have historically been less of a bump than you'll see in Europe, uh, but even some of them are quite large and they're built into a contract, particularly for longer ones. Uh, you know, like Benji Kikanovich had a contract that was a rolling set of options over many years and it had a bump in it. And the idea is if we're still activating your options in the middle and later years of this contract, it means you've already kind of established yourself in the first team. So we're going to you like index your salary to that. So anyway, that's just important context for looking at this is we're not, you know, Miguel Traco, Carlos Acapo, whatever, all these players, you see their options exercise. We're not necessarily going to get the exact same salary next year. We know it's going to be a little bit more, could actually be a lot more. Um, so it's it's just one thing to keep in mind. We won't know until, you know, usually late April when the U.S. or the MLS Players Association releases the salaries exactly what they got them back on. But that's one of the things that makes this uh, particular roster announcement harder to analyze is we actually don't know the size of the options uh, that are declined. We can just kind of guess that they're, say, 10 to 15 percent over uh, the previous salary on average. So anyway, yes, that means that Miguel Traco is an expensive fullback. It means that, uh, you know, a capo is uh, an expensive fullback. And I do think it is very valid to say that it is one of the lower positional values, probably the lowest positional value on the pitch. And in a salary capped league, then that means that you have to be very prudent in the resources that you use for them. Um, it's interesting that they made the decision that Acapa was valued for it and uh, Traka wasn't. 
but I do think that's probably a valid choice to make. Acapo was rock solid all year long, you know, very consistent in his contributions and played both sides of the ball well. You know, he was contributing on defense and attack, and he's a, a touch younger. Uh, and so I think that they, you know, they were confident that he would kind of keep up that level of production. Trocco getting into his 30s, uh, very good on the ball at times, but there are some weaknesses in his game. You know, he was not always a strong defender, and he doesn't have that same kind of pure athleticism that Acapo does. Uh, and so I think that there was kind of perhaps a worry that his game wouldn't age as well um, on the other side. Look, look, um, Alex, Alex, Alex and Robert, I'm going to get to you just in one second. Mike's got a good question here. Bonuses are, aren't included in the salary info, right? And, and publicly, that's correct. MLS, well, PA. I, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, if, if I may. So there's, uh, there's something called total guaranteed compensation, which right. is what you do see in the MLSPA, and that does include certain types of bonuses that are considered more or less guaranteed. Um, there are incentivized bonuses, say, for example, scoring a number of goals in a season. Those will not appear uh, in, in their salaries. And, so, and at times, that has led to big gaps between what you can see in the roster and which not. But in MLS, it's not heavily incentivized contracts the way you'd see in, say, the NFL, uh, which has highly incentivized contracts. So, uh, you know, we can, I think we can safely disregard bonuses for the, the purposes of this conversation. Go ahead, Alex. Well, I was just going to say that I think the problem with letting go of Miguel Trauco is that he was the most reliable player on this roster when it came to delivering top corner bangers. And the Quakes don't have any other player on the roster who can deliver with the Paul same Marie? consistency. Yeah, I was going to say Paul Marie had one or two. Top corner bang. Not last season. Paul Marie historically has had bangers, but I think he was underperforming his expected bangers. Uh, expected bangers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. tally last season. So that's that's an open question. And it's possible that, that yeah, Miguel Traco had uh, uh, some contract uh, bonus uh, for, for how many bangers he put in the top corner and so, put his salary over over like 700, 800K, Colin. So very well, maybe, uh, maybe so. Uh, I will say the the other, I'll do one more piece of table setting here. So I told you that I, I, at least as far as I can tell, there's eight senior roster spots that are completely empty right now. Uh, the number of cap resources that I estimate, and, and by the way, I've done my best to kind of bump the salaries uh, from the last year to kind of get a, a, an approximation of what those bumps and, uh, and their structure would look like and their options. Um, we're talking somewhere on the order of three to $4 million of, uh, GAM uh, plus TAM plus salary cap resources for them to use. They're fairly fungible. They're not completely fungible resources, but between the three of those things, you're talking three to $4 million to play with um, for those things. So off cap is the U22 program and the DP program. Everything else has to kind of come from that three to 4 million in terms of salaries and including amortized transfer fees uh, for any of the remaining players. So that, that is a quite a bit of space to work with, but it's actually not a ginormous amount of space to work with. And the big move would have to come through those off-cap mechanisms, i.e. a U22 uh, or a DP program. But it does mean that there is a lot of space there. And I did kind of mock up in my little salary spreadsheet, I have what I call a sandbox tab. You can easily fit three U22s, a replacement DP from Montero, and bringing Montero back on a TAM salary, as well as having Miguel Traco in there uh, and on a reduced salary, all that fits within the resources that I'm currently aware of and does not include any extra resources that you might gain if you have, for example, a Kate Cowell sale. Con random question. Have you ever heard of an MLS club giving out a really long contract so they can amortize that, that uh, 
transfer fee over a long period of time is that ever a, a, like a weird yeah this uh, is the this system? is the chelsea the chelsea fc thing that is imported uh-huh. over from the american systems so and the nfl is particularly infamous for having they actually now design contracts to have intentional years that are never intended to be exercised in order to amortize mm-hmm. signing bonuses uh, over them i have not heard that system being used uh, very strongly uh, yet in MLS, and I believe it's because they can't void the years in MLS the way mm. that they can in, in NFL. So basically, like the whole the whole boat guaranteed contract salary has to be guaranteed in that given year. So if you're adding an extra year, you're adding a full year of guarantees. Whereas in the NFL, you're adding a year that is in a non guaranteed year. And yes, you can zoom it up at that point, but to my knowledge, that particular tool doesn't work in the MLS toolbox. And, and I think I think because of the way that the DP is structured, I think the most you can amortize is three years anyway. So I, I don't think you can extend a DP contract uh, amortization beyond the first three years of the agreement. Now you can pick and choose where you put the money in what year, but you you have to amortize the whole thing over three years. Thank you. I, I could have uh, Googled that, but when you have two no, people that with one, encyclopedic that knowledge of, the, of major That one's in the deep in the CBA. Got it. Got it. So uh, let me let me throw this around to all three of you. Um, let's have a little bit of fun here. You can bring back only one player out of those that did not have their options exercised. And let's go through the list just so everyone's clear on everyone who's in this list. So it's Oscar Agron, Nathan, uh, Keegan Tingey, Miguel Trauco, Cam Seeley, Judson, Jamiro Montero, and Tommy Thompson. You can only bring back one which one is it and what's the salary that you're bringing them back on that would be well by you, the way you think Jonathan Mesa and Jack Skein also out of contract not technically yes. points. yeah sorry yes. but let's let's focus on the ones that were that were technically yeah. declined so the ones that I mentioned there um, you can only bring back one and what is the salary that you think they should come back on so let's just test a little bit of our knowledge of MLS salaries and things like that. And Colin will keep us kind of honest from the spreadsheet side. Robert, let's start with you. Go ahead. Who are you bringing back and on what salary? Um, I do think uh, what we saw from Nathan in his in his healthy time on the field, and if he's passing his medicals, he makes a ton of sense to bring back for me. And then Skane would be my, my second choice. But I want to focus on Nathan because he's the player that if you bring him back and he's healthy, he and Rodriguez are going to be your starting two defenders. And now you've got a you know you've got Beeson on the bench to back the the two of them up. Um, he's going to probably need to be a pretty decent TAM salary, and I I don't uh, I'm you're going to test me on numbers. I don't have a number. <laughs> I'm going to like I'll like I'll like call it anything over anything over six fifty is going to be TAM range at least. Yeah. And, and I would be surprised. DP if you can't buy him down. Given given his age, uh, I think that's uh, that would be uh, a, you know, not a given. But with the injury, that might mitigate it, and you might be able to get him back on a smaller salary. So he prove you know quote proves himself, and if he does, then he's going to get his bump as you go further uh, forward. But I think that would be a, a pretty a tidy bit of business. I would have said it was imperative if uh, they hadn't have picked up Rodriguez, but that also. Uh, it doesn't make this a luxury signing. I think the Quakes still need to really have a, 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 a concrete back line to continue the any progress that they might have made this season. Alex, All right, you bring him back. What's their salary? I'm going to have some fun here. And Colin, at any point, feel free to jump in and tell me this is completely wrong. This can't happen. Uh, the one name you didn't mention was Matthew Hoppy. 
because they did okay. not exercise his his option to purchase. As far as I'm aware, that does not preclude them from negotiating a new purchase with yep. his, his club. Okay, here's hear me out here. I think they should negotiate a purchase for him around a transfer fee of $1.5 million, uh, three-year contract, $500,000 cap hit a year. And I believe this would probably only work if he's still considered under 22 initiative. He was for last year. He is now 22. So I do not know if he still qualifies. If he does, that means his contract only have a $100,000 cap hit, 600 k a year. I think that's a good deal for Matthew Hoppy, but that might not work, Colin. You might be telling me that doesn't work. It's an interesting, so, it's an interesting idea for sure. I, I like it. No, no, no. I, I like the idea as well. I actually literally had this exact conversation with somebody in the front office and over the summer, um, the, my reading of my reading of the rules indicate, well, basically you, the U22 contract has to be signed uh, in advance of the season or during the season in which you turn 22. So that means that it would have had to have, if they were going to get a U22 deal done for Matt Hoppy, it would have had to have been a part of the agreement that was signed in June. Um, and so, it couldn't. So, uh, so a player can stay on U22 beyond 22. Correct. You're, you're saying that a new agreement would make it so it resets the clock in effect. And unless now, I'm, unless I'm reading this wrong, no and longer I eligible. Yeah, unless I'm reading this wrong, and I didn't get a strong pushback in the conversation when I was having it, I don't believe that a new deal would be eligible for the U22 program. Um, which, by the way, Balix is the same bummer. I, I feel the same, you know, I think it's a bummer. It's like, it, we, we can go deeper in the hoppy thing in a second, because I think it's worth, you know, a full, full around. But yes, the U22 status is what is the difference between that deal making sense and not making sense. And so you really have to kind of fit it in there. Yeah, well, I'm well glad Alex, it was so interesting. Yes. So you had the thought experiment. Let's set it aside. Let's come back and revisit it. Take somebody else off the list that we know can 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 fit into the salary situation in a valid way. Sure. For me, it's it's Trauco. Um, he was reliable last season. Lots of bangers. If you can bring him back on a contract that's roughly equivalent to what they were paying him last year, I think that's worth it. I like having three fullbacks who you can slot in at any time you want. I think that rotation worked very well. Uh, I think that was the one area of the field that I never complained about last season. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So Trauco is probably the, the easiest one for me. All right. That makes a lot of sense to me. Colin. I didn't think I'd be the only one saying this. Maybe I'm going to be way out on my own here. Uh, if you can get Jamiro Montero back on 700, you do it. Um, and it's uh, to me, it's, I think, well, it's look, it is something that happens kind of subconsciously for everybody and very, very consciously for me, just because of the way that I think about, about soccer. Um, we always evaluate people in reference to their salaries, really. Um, you know, Jack Skein has been an awesome uh, player on a minimum salary. But if we were paying Jack Skein uh, half a million dollars a year the last couple of years, I think people would be complaining about him because they'd be like, wait a second, we're spending a lot of money on a guy who's, you know, only appearing here and there. Right. He's and good and he's injured. Right. <laughs> so, so, so like, look, I always say like happiness is a function of expectations and expectations are set by how much we're paying people. Jamiro Montero was on 1.3 ish last year. Uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, and that's a, that's a, you know, too much for the, for the value that he was bringing on the field. But he's still actually a very good player and someone that the Quakes don't have a, a skill set like his in the roster. And I don't think it's particularly easy to find a replacement for him either. 
Um, if he's on a TAM deal, it becomes much more palatable. And I think that 700-ish is about the right number for it. Um, I think that his ability to hold on to the ball in the middle of the park is something that not a lot of other Quakes have. Uh, I think that he gives you the ability to do certain things that, that Lucci would like to do. I think he's the most valuable player on that list in terms of, like, again, if you take all salaries off, if, you, if they were all given to you for $0, you'd probably pick Jamiro Montero of that group. Because I think that his skill set is less easy to replace than Miguel Trauco, who I like. Uh, but you can find a left back who's adequate uh, at a much lower number much more easily than you can find a guy who's comfortable in the middle of the park at an MLS level. So, so for so me, Jamiro on 700. Here's here's an interesting question for you. Because because personally... I, I don't want any shade thrown towards Jack Skane. I think he well deserved half a million dollars a year based on his performance since last season. You might be thinking about it as a, as a general manager. I might be thinking about it more as like a coach because he was the one player every time he got brought on the field that was raising the tempo, that was lifting the team, that was bringing joy to the field. And <laughs> that was very, very, very important. And here's the key thing for me. He's 25 years old. Jameer Montero is 30 years old. So if you're going to bring a player back, you know, on a two, three year deal, I think you choose Jack Scan. I think he has significantly more growth left in him and, you know, career left in him than Jameer Montero. So all else equal, I'm, I'm actually taking Jack Scan over Jameer Montero in that situation. Okay. All right. I'm going to just, I'm going to stick with the declines because, because I think Scan's its own separate conversation. Um, I'm, you know, I think, I think there've been, been some very good uh, arguments here. And I like that people think a little bit differently. Um, for me, I'm very concerned that Montero has lost a step, maybe even more than a step given last season. Um, and I think at 30, I'm concerned at anything over 500 K for him, because I think that decline might be happening and might be happening in a rapid way. So I think that's my one concern with Jamiro. I, th I think it's more like 500, maybe 600, but definitely I wouldn't go into TAM range for him given what I saw last year. Um, I think anything less than that, and it's replaceable. Um, I like Miguel Trauco right now, and I, I'm, for the same reasons I think that Alex does, and I like him on around 300. Um, I will probably would go as high as 350. Um, for me, I think having no concerns about the outside backs, you got three outside backs, two of them, which can play either side. You know that there are going to be international call-ins and all kinds of things going on, particularly with Copa America happening next year as well. So for me, uh, Miguel Trauco, but uh, probably on about half of what his current salary is, maybe just a touch above that. So, so that's where I sit. Now, Colin, you wanted to kind of circle back on the Matthew Hoppy. Why don't we do that? Right now, um, tell us yeah. a bit of what we do know about the Hoppy loan situation. If you have any guess at all in terms of what the buy, you know, or just, you know, finger to the wind, what it feels like, you think the buyout, uh, you know, from Middlesbrough would have been and things like that. And then, you know, having him on a U22 was attractive. And uh, that would be one of the reasons that you would probably go ahead and pay an expensive buyout is because, well, you can keep him on a U22 through what? You, through what, 25 years old? I think it is. I, it's about three years for him. Yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously that's kind of a key decision. Uh, your thoughts. Yeah. No, look, this is by far the most opaque thing uh, for us to kind of dig into in the salary spreadsheet because there's so many unknowns. You know, we don't know the value of 
the buy option. We also don't know the value of the salary that Matthew Hoppy would have accepted in San Jose. Because by the way, the, whatever salary that we were paying him in San Jose was negotiated between San Jose and his host club, Middlesbrough, not you know with Hoppy directly. It's possible Hoppy would have said, you know what, I, wanna, I want way more money than the, your fraction of my salary that is getting paid uh, from Middlesbrough to stay around because this is a smaller league and I want to make it in Europe. It's also possible he would have said the opposite. And he would have said, you know what, I am willing to take a pay cut in order to, you know, to get more game time back in California where I'm from. So there's so many unknowns on this that it's really difficult to kind of fit it. I also don't know that, as I said, my the reason that this is so complex is the plain reading of the rule would suggest that he was U22 eligible at the time the June contract was made. If the buy option is executed as a part of the June contract, does that mean he's still U22 eligible or was he always going to roll over into a non you know, U22 eligible? I don't know. You know, these are these are like the most arcane questions that, quite frankly, could probably only be answered by the people in the league office uh, and the MLS Players Union. Um, I, I would say I would wager that his his transfer fee. And by the way, the uh, one thing is that for loans into MLS from outside leagues, there must be a buy option. It's just a league rule. And so they always set a number. Um Options to buy are always set above the market value of the player, or at least in general, unless they basically have the clubs have already decided to do the transaction. And the reason why is fairly obvious. It's like you don't want to, you know, set at a market value and then the player plays really well and then the, the loaning club gets all the upside, or they play poorly and they don't exercise the option and the loaning club takes none of the downside. So it wouldn't make sense to set it like right precisely at the market value unless you basically already arranged for the transaction to go ahead. Um, so I would actually wager that the option sat maybe at 2 million or something a little bit on the high side, two to 3 million, um, which would have been pretty rich. Um, you know, maybe it was a touch lower than that, but if it's a million five and, you know, he's making half a million dollars a year ish, you know, the, the amortization of the transfer fee is half a million dollars ish. You're talking a million dollar a year cap hit uh, that comes from TAM and from the salary cap. Um, and that's a lot. Uh, I'm not saying it's a, it's definitely a no for me. You know, he was a very valuable player down the stretch, but that's a lot less valuable than if you take all the transfer fee off and you take a lot of the salary off the salary cap via the U22 mechanism. So I'm actually left with kind of a different question here, which is why did they structure this transaction in this fashion in the first place? Because basically... If you're ever restructuring a transaction in an ideal environment, you want, if you're the buying club, you want to be able to participate in some amount of upside from the transaction. So that means you want to be able to, if it's successful, you want to be able to exercise an option and, and you know, take advantage of that. If it's unsuccessful, you send him back to his club. So be it. This, if it's structured in this manner, if it's structured in a way that the transfer fee was way too high for the club to accept, if the U22 wasn't an option, it's kind of hard to imagine that his actual play on the field didn't achieve exactly what they were hoping for. So if it achieved exactly what they were hoping for, why did they design a transaction that was not exercisable six months into it? The only answer I can be given is that they basically viewed him as cover, just pure cover. They needed numbers in the front. They needed somebody to potentially score some goals. And they were out, you know, they were desperately seeking it. And that was a very convenient, low cost, low salary cap hit option for them to do so. If so, that's kind of a bummer. It makes some sense. I'm not saying it's, you know, like obviously cover can be an important thing, but it's kind of odd to me. I, I would much rather have, uh, you know, if I'm, again, if I'm in that front office, I'm trying to design a transaction that 
if it goes really well on the field, uh, allows me to kind of carry that forward and take advantage of that upside. And that's not clearly what happened here. If he had had a bad season and they declined the option, you know, whatever, we don't know anything. But it, the fact that he had a really good season and he looked like he was a fit and the option still wasn't worth it, that seems kind of odd to me. Colin, that was, that was a very eloquent way of crushing my dreams. But at least I now have somebody to blame. <laughs> and apparently that person to blame is Chris Leach. For Chris Leach. That way. So, <laughs> but, yeah. but without Chris Leach, direction Alex, for my frustration. Well, and by Alex, the way, without we Chris know, Leach, you would have never had the dream to begin with. And by the way, we have no idea. So by the way, I'm saying, you know, Chris Leach didn't structure a transaction that allowed them to participate in an upside, which to me indicates that he just saw it as cover, uh, which is fine. You know, that does provide value. And it came at fairly low cost and low risk to the team uh, in order to provide that cover, you know, and he was valuable for a couple months there, uh, you know, that other players wouldn't have gotten. What we don't know, as I said, are the two things. We don't know what his selling club would have demanded. And it might be quite a lot. It might have a, a, an expectation that is way out of whack for him. And we don't know what he would have demanded in salary from the Quakes uh, in terms of his contract. It's possible that both of those things got totally out of whack. All I'm hearing I, is that nobody believed. No, nobody believed like I did. You're the only one, Alex. You could, but 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 you should. You know what I'm struggling with is that Tommy Thompson is with Almeida right now in Greece, and and you're not there. So yeah, you know there's there's that as well, Robert. Better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. What do you what do you say about Matthew Hoppy? You didn't get to join us on the uh, season-ending show. So yeah. your thoughts now, both season-ending, like how did he do, and then, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of declining the line? You know, it's it, it's always interesting. I, I I really enjoyed his contributions. I you know in terms of I, you know, he was a good you know player down the stretch. You know, I found it interesting when they did sign him or brought him aboard, and they brought in uh, Ekendola. You know, roughly at that same time, it just felt like, you know, these were a couple pieces that were kind of half on trial, half uh, they're available and they can play if we need them to play. Um, I'm not surprised by Akindola being, you know, uh, basically, you know, they're not going with that transfer. You know, this this one just, you know, seems like if uh, he probably has, you know, that that high level, you know, kind of, you know, English football tax associated with his transfer where they're not going to let him go cheap. And so it was never going to be easy in the first place. And so maybe he outplayed his ability to be signed by the earthquakes, unfortunately. So at least we got a, a couple of good months of seeing him. And, uh, you know, unless he's the one kind of uh, kind of pulling the levers behind the scenes and wants to transfer to, to MLS, you know, I just can't imagine there was any number that was going to make that that possible. So, you know, enjoyed his time here. I thought he was really productive. Uh, you know, I'm not sure he's uh, the guy you kind of mold the offense around, but he certainly is a player that you know you can count on on offense. So, um, you know, mixed feelings there. Alex, I'm a little with you. I I, I would have loved to see him come back. Um, I I thought he kind of he fit this team really well, but you know, you know, it's a salary cap league and probably not going to happen. Um, I don't know if you want to continue with Hoppy, but I, I do, uh, you know, you mentioned Tommy Thompson, and I think uh, that's actually a very interesting discussion you yeah. know, with respect to his longevity, is his tenure with the club. I was there on the the dirt where the stadium now sits when he, he signed his original contract, and we were looking at just a few pieces of steel in the background there. You know, in a sense, he's pledged himself to this team, but, uh, you know, uh, he hasn't, uh, you know, his opportunities have been rather limited and, and I wouldn't blame him for looking to see if he could make one last splash somewhere as well. Um, another player that uh, I'm sure if the Quakes made a, a, a reasonable offer and no one else did, he, he's probably going to take it 
Um, but I don't know if uh, the Quakes even kind of look at it that way as well. You know, do they do they need a Tommy Thompson on this team moving forward? You know, given given his productivity, I'd just be curious what the rest of the the group here feels about uh, about him. Alex, yeah, um, you know, I I think. Tommy has been a servant to this club for a long time. I, I think he's the only player still on the books that was that was on the team when I started covering the team in in 2015. I think I think he's the last holdover, uh, and he's always been a pleasure to talk to. Uh, I think he's represented the club very well uh, over you know that period. I think it's pretty clear at this point he's no longer a player who's going to be you know contributing significantly to the first team. Um, but with that said, it's always important to have veteran players in the locker room who've seen this club when it was, you know, coached by Dom Kinnear, when it was coached by, uh, you know, Matias Almeida, when it was, uh, you know, coached by, you know, Mika Stare, uh, who's, who's seen the club through its, through its various iterations. So um, I, I think it, 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 I, I, I wouldn't mind him sticking around on, you know, a, a, a very, very, you know, cheap kind of salary that put him at the, the bottom of the roster. Um, you know, I think the question for Tommy is, you know, does he want to try to stick around at MLS? Does he want to go to USL where I'm you know, sure he'd be able to make a pretty big impact and, you know, be a starting player at that level? Or does he look for an out? Does he look to go into coaching or uh, into scouting? Does he try to join Matias Almeida's, uh, you know, setup in, uh, in Athens, because he wouldn't be the first player to do that, right? Daniel Vega is now a part of uh, Matias Almeida's staff. He kind of slowly accumulates players who he's he's played with. And you know, if I think Tommy Thompson uh, gets a, like a really solid, you know, uh, option that allows him to transition into a, a you know a coaching role or a scouting role, you know, if I were Tommy Thompson, that's something that I would consider it at this stage of his career. So, so all of that's to say, you know, I, I think a, a kind of low offer might make sense for him, but you know, it's, it's clearly not something that the, the Quakes are going to stake the 2024 season on. Colin, I don't anything to hear that you want about Tommy, but it's interesting to me that when you already negotiated someone like Tommy and also Judson onto a new deal that you wouldn't structure it in a way that you could easily keep them around for two years and get back in this position and potentially have to do another negotiation. Um, I found that a bit curious. Like I would thought that probably they would have set those deals up in a way that they would be easy options to just take for depth in this team. But Chris Leach being pretty aggressive here to, uh, to decline options a year after he had declined options on them already. Yeah, well, Judson was on three hundred grand this year, uh, and I, I, I don't think he provided three hundred grand worth of value. And so the option, as I said, by rule, options have to be above the number that they are before. Um, so, you know, I think that what you do is you write that option in there, and if Judson, you know, returns to form and contributes a lot, great. You exercise the option. If he doesn't, fair enough. I mean, options are just leverage. So I, I don't mind, you know, coming back to the well over and over again, uh, if that's necessary. Um, the Jutsen, you know, Jutsen, I think is a clear thing there. There's also the thing, look, one thing that's in the background of all these things is, remember, we're talking about, we're talking about human beings here who got their own preferences and their own ideas and their own, you know, what they want in this world. In the front office, we'll have a good understanding of that. And there are times when your interests are very strongly in keeping a player against his will, you know, but 
a lot of the times they're not. And, and so they're going to understand like where these players are at and what they want. So if Tommy was desperate to stay in San Jose and wanted to take a minimum salary just to be on the roster and be part of the group and to be a good influence, you know, you know, they probably would have accommodated that. But maybe Tommy says, you know what, I really want to get regular game time day in, day out in my career, which I've never really had before. I'm going to play for Sacramento, you know, my hometown club. Uh, and, and spend, you know, and by the way, he probably make at least as much money in USL as he does here in MLS, but he'd be able to play every week, you know, in his hometown. That's pretty cool, right? Maybe that's what he wants to do. Maybe he wants to go to AEK and, you know, link up with Almeida's staff. I don't know. So I, I would say a lot of these things, there's, there's kind of an element there of, we don't really know what's when these guys minds, uh, and we don't know what their preferences are. Montero might've said, I really want to stay in San Jose and I'm willing to take a pay cut. Uh, or, you know, Traco the same or Traco say, I'm done here. You know, like I'm not renegotiating, you know, who knows. Right. So I, I would just say that that's the toughest part of guessing on this season is that you really do. There is a huge element of what the player wants that affects uh, these decisions uh, and that the front office will be much more familiar with their states of mind. And so if they decline a player who they like, usually it means the front office understands that there's there's an appetite to, you know, to, to renegotiate. All I'm saying is if he goes to Sacramento, that would that would put a lot of fire in the, the open cup rivalry between, yeah, it'd between be fun. Sacramento. That'd be a fun. All right. Um, anything anyone wants to add on Judson? I, I think I feel like he's, you know, one of those players who, man, he had so much. Colin, you once wrote that, you know, it really was all about Judson back in those early Almeida days in terms that of first Almeida was, year. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what was making the system work and the turnaround that it went through, a lot of that was was on him. Um, he had that ability to go side to side, be able to stop counterattacks, which was critically important in that particular system. That type of range and that kind of license to be able to move in the uh, defensive midfielder position does not seem to be something that is interesting uh, to uh, to Lucha Gonzalez. Nor uh, nor would I say that. Um, Judson has the range that he once had, right? So is there yeah. a price that you would bring Judson back on? Or do you think this is probably the last we, we see of Judson? Well, so actually, this actually, to me, gets to a bigger, more interesting, uh, this touches on a broader issue, which is there is a, a literal, val like everyone has a number, right? You know, everyone, there's a number that everyone makes sense at. Um, but in practical terms, if you're having a guy on the roster that's still a roster spot and it's still a human being in your locker room who has some amount of expectations about, you know, what they're playing and a coach who may use a potentially slightly washed up midfielder to kind of provide cover when if he doesn't have that guy available to him, he's going to have to reach towards a youth prospect, for example. So there's actually a value even if, like we say, that there's a number at which Jutsen makes sense, and even if it's a number that Jutsen wants to accept, because again, you know, like maybe he wants to go back to Brazil, maybe he wants to maximize his earnings in some other way, who knows? There's actually a value in clearing out the space for other players to grow into the space. And sometimes it's very difficult uh, for the young players, even if they do have the potential to exceed the person who's in front of them, sometimes it's really hard for them to kind of take that space unless they're given the opportunity to do so uh, out of necessity. And so I think that some of these things uh, you're you're going to see names clipped off, even if their numbers might make sense at a certain number, just to generate space on the roster and kind of invite other people to step up and say, hey, here's a spot, go grab it. You know, Michael Baldissimo is at a very different number than Jutsen is. 
um, and you know he's on a minimum salary. So you're not expecting necessarily the same level of production, but you're saying, hey, for a late in the game, you know, side to side coverage or occasional spot starter, you know, Juchin played that role for us at some point. Take that role from him. You know, don't don't double down on that. So I'm actually a big I mean, the 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 unsavory phrase that they use in, in English journalism is deadwood, you know, getting rid of the deadwood of the roster. Um, it's not necessarily the high salaried guys. It's actually just creating space uh, for other players to occupy it. And I actually think that the Quakes kind of have an overabundance of, you know, young players who are kind of fringy and guys who I'm not even 100% certain are are definitely MLS quality guys, uh, but they kind of need a little bit more space to grow into it. So I'm not a big fan of, you know, bring, keeping middling kind of mediocre players in uh, in order, to, you know, just in order to have a decent player in that spot. I'll give you one random example here, by the way, is, um, and this might be something that's indicated by the options and declines that we saw. Uh, the the under 18s player, the academy player that I think is the most ready for first team soccer is Oscar Verhoeven, who's mostly been playing right back uh, for that team. He might not be the highest potential player in the academy. You know, I think that most people agree that Cruz Medina is the highest potential player. But from what I've seen, Medina is a little bit farther away from being a first team contributor. Verhoeven kind of looks like he's ready already. So if you have too many fullbacks, you have, for example, a Tommy Thompson, who's been doing, uh, you know, playing at MLS level for years and can put in a shift. You're probably not going to go to 17 year old and probably 18 by next season, Oscar Verhoeven. Now you have to. And so you're, you're basically saying like, all right, step up guys, like young guys, who's going to impress me sink or swim. Uh, and there's a lot of people who kind of have a philosophy of youth players, which is, you know, uh, they do tend to sink or swim and that's an indicator of whether or not they have the mentality to play. I love that the chat loves Oscar Verhoeven. I, I think he's a really nice player. And as I said, the thing that's so impressive to me is that he's 17 years old and his game is actually very mature already. Like it's, it's, it's fairly well, uh, well accomplished. Whereas Cruz Medina, I would say probably has some years to go before he reaches uh, the level that he wants to. It'd be quite interesting if one of the reasons that they felt they could decline at least on Miguel Trauco, exactly. is to be able to make the space for Verhoeven to get some time next year. Maybe he becomes the third fullback, um, you know, on the roster. That that could be a very, very interesting. Yeah, um, I see the Tommy you know, Thompson idea. decline is a more direct linkage to to Verhoeven than than Trauco, just because otherwise that means they don't have any left-footed fullbacks, which is probably not ideal. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Um, so, uh, but one thing uh, to just kind of tie that in and then maybe get everyone's thoughts on this is you know, one of the things that Chris Leach doesn't seem to be afraid of that it did feel like Jesse Fiorinelli uh, for, for you know, the, the qualities that he had, he was very big on trying to create a roster that kind of felt like a family. And I thought sometimes didn't make tough moves that he should have made because he almost felt bad that of, you know, declining an option or telling a player that, you know, a young player that they weren't good enough for that. Chris Leach doesn't seem to have that problem. Chris Leach seems perfectly fine to sign a homegrown or to sign someone in the draft. And then the next year, just go like, eh, sorry, declined. Uh, there's, you know, so if you take a look at these moves, you know, Agron, Tingy, Silly, uh, I'm trying to think, is there, was there another one in there? But um, they did ex decide to extend on Baldissimo, Buda, Richmond, and Daniel Muni. But 
there's some cuts in there. Um, and I remember the first time uh, someone uh, remind me the uh, the name of the center back that uh, young center back that was a homegrown that uh, got cut last year. No, Casey's still on the roster. Um, I'm thinking Jacob. Oh, you're, Jacob. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, so so Jacob is the first one that that you know got basically cut and now well, Gilbert Francis as well. Gilbert, Gilbert Francis, but Gilbert was. Yeah, they gave him added. years. Yeah, there was other issues there. So. Um, but just you know, but 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 there's a couple more cuts here as well. So young players who potentially you know have the ability to be able to become something, but willing to say you know what, um, I think after the first year we didn't see enough progress. We're going to open up that space for another young player to move into, maybe another draft pick, another um, you know homegrown to be able to move into. So you know there is some interesting you know cuts here. Uh, in terms of young players uh, as well. Anyone want to, you know, add any thoughts on the young players that were Well, uh, it, I, before we go to the young players, I, I agree with you. There is a ruthlessness there. Ruthlessness is very important for a general manager. Uh, it, they effectively, in a weird way, general managers are investors. You know, they're, they're trying to acquire assets, you know, at below their value and utilize them at above their value. You can't, if you allow sentiment in, you know, it gets to be a problem. Jesse had a bit of a weakness for this. His predecessor, John, his, his predecessor was much worse. <laughs> you know, it, there was a lot of sentimental contracts handed out in the John Doyle era. So uh, this is a, it's a welcome thing. And I think that, you know, to the extent that all four of us know Chris Leach, it does not surprise us that he has more of the ability to be, to be ruthless when necessary here. Um, and I, I think that that's a really important trait and that's something you need to have. All right, people again bringing in a lot of love for Oscar Verhoeven. I think you uh, you hit on something there, Colin. Uh, people definitely have enjoyed what they've seen with him with Quakes Two, and are looking for him to get the opportunity to move up. So maybe uh, this will be the year. Anyone else want to weigh in on young players? You know, homegrowns, draft picks, any uh, of the other uh, uh, cuts that we got to see. Uh, if not, we'll start to move toward uh, final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, not not a cut, but uh, Nico Shakaris is under contract clearly, and and a, and a player mm -hmm. that was on the ascendancy. I'd be curious how the folks here view his you know uh, potential you know uh, role in maybe some of these decisions. You know, I don't think he's a like for like for Jamira Montero, um, but you know he is the kind of center midfielder that you're 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 trusting more and more you see him head up with the ball and able to kind of take command at times in games is that uh you know another reason to maybe uh, you know decline jamiro and maybe try to you know see if he wants to come back for a lower contract knowing that he's not necessarily going to be that kind of impact player for this team i think yes i think the other i mean while we're on the topic the other thing that I find is interesting that hasn't been been brought up is is the Jackson Ewell option to renew because that was something that was mentioned a couple times throughout the season last year that if you're really looking to to clear house uh, he could be a player that you try to move uh, for uh, you know an uh, interleague transfer fee uh, or or a trade um, because he's you know one of the guys who's been around for a long time, and and you might be able to upgrade on. So so the fact that you know Jackson Ewell was renewed, I I don't want to pretend that that was a, always going to be a, a given. Uh, the way I see it is is that they wanted the consistency, you know, in the midfield with Jackson Ewell. 
so that they can, you know, get uh, Jameer off the books. I think that I think that you know the fact that Jackson Ewell was renewed makes me a little bit more confident that that Jameer is probably on his way out. Yeah, you made a good point, Alex, because we focus on the declines, but not so much on the contract options that were picked up. So just uh, to be clear, that is uh, Carlos Acapo, Daniel Muni, uh, Michael Baldissimo, Jackson Ewell, Asenia Buda, and Will Richmond all had options that were picked up. Um, Colin, Robert, uh, either of you want to want to add anything on to the those particular options that were picked up and your thoughts of uh, on those players? I mean, I was a bit surprised with Will Richmond since he's been very far from the first team. Not as surprised you know, Sunny Buddha, who I think is a bit closer to the first team and probably has a bit more upside. Uh, Acapo, we talked about before. The only reason it was a touch surprising is because it's a big salary at a, at a lower <laughs> value position, but you know, very solid performance. So it's hard to argue with that. Um, the, the Ewell thing I don't think is related to the Montero thing. Cause I think that they just see them as tactically very separate players. Um, and you know, you, you, in an ideal world, you want like a good version of Montero and a good version of Ewell on the same field. And that's kind of the, the going rate for a good center midfielder. Um, so I, I don't mind that at all. And I've also been probably one of the foremost, uh, Ewell, uh, defenders, uh, in, you know, on the league now, I actually don't disagree with Crystal and Arfi here on on Will Richmond doing well on Q2. What I would say is uh, one thing that people should probably do is go back and look at the actual ages of the people that we're talking about here. Because I think that there's this idea that all these people are young, uh, that some of these guys are not as young anymore. And I mean, they're still young men. But, you know, Paul Marie will be 29 next season. Uh, You know, that's not exactly a young guy anymore. Uh, you know, Jack Scan will be 26. Not, you know, that's certainly still in the middle of his career, but it's not like he's a youth prospect who's unproven. You know, uh, Will Richmond is 24. Michael Baptista is 24. Daniel Mooney is 24. You know, those those are fairly young in MLS terms, but in in European terms, 24, 25, 26 year olds, you know, those are mid career guys at that point. And MLS has a really good history of later developers. Obviously, most famously, the greatest late developer of all time, Chris Wondolowski, didn't really break through until he was 27. But those are generally the exception rather than the rule. And the American development model is very different than it was at the time uh, when he's there. Yeah, Marie's turning 29 this year, Arky. Seriously. Um, so it, it, my point by making this is just, you know, time comes for all of us. Some of these guys that we have in our heads as youth prospects because they haven't broken through yet, they're not necessarily kids anymore. Um, and so for me, Will Richmond as a 23 year old and quit at, you know, at the MLS next pro level should be performing really well, you know, cause there are the Oscar Verhoeven's of the world. There are 17 that are starting week in and week out at that level. So for me and, and, you know, silly and Tingy actually looked pretty good at the quakes two level as well. But again, they were older, you know, and so you have to kind of evaluate them against, you know, against where they need to be in their development pathways. Um, and so I would say that a lot of the guys who were cut, uh, versus the guys that are retained, it's the guys who weren't developing enough. You know, Usini Buddha, you know, he's going to be 24 next year, but they felt like he has the upside to keep going, you know, and that that makes sense to me. So I think that being a little bit ruthless and saying like, you know, once you're into your mid-20s, you kind of have to have, you have to like really shown us you deserve a roster spot. I should also add, they are, they have a ton of guys signed to the first team uh, who, excuse me, 24, not 23. Um, so there we go. So the guys who are uh, signed to the first team who uh, are on first team contracts who are not on the senior roster is a very large number last year. 
So there was far more guys on those contracts than even could fit in the supplement on reserve rosters. And what that means is you have to either non-roster players altogether, which is not necessarily a great solution except for the very youngest players, or you have to send them out on loan. And so I actually think that part of this is just like they wanted to create space on the supplemental and reserve rosters. Yeah, and a name we haven't really talked about, Daniel Muni. Who we you know, we didn't see him very often on the the field, but it, you know he made a a good impact in his debut. And and uh, you know maybe you you end up with another Tanner Beeson type player on your roster. You know a player that is you know reliable, but uh, you maybe not building your your defense around, but someone that you don't uh, get terribly upset about having uh, available to to put into the field. So you know I thought and that I think was the a pretty good pickup. Him. Yeah, club, I do too. Our yeah. impression is the club. I like him. I like him too. I, I think his upside is higher than than Beeson's. I think we know what Beeson's upside is at this point. I think his upside is higher, and I think they like to see if he can achieve it or not. Yep. Uh, yeah, and uh, Crystal says Muni was great in Quakes too, also. And uh, and you want to know anything about Quakes too? See uh, see Crystal <laughs> or any, anyone anyone uh, in uh, in that uh, supporters group because uh, they're there every game for it. Um, so. Uh, want to try to wrap this up. We are a little bit over an hour. It is late on the East Coast for Colin, and I, I appreciate that. There are a couple questions here which are looks ahead to next season or not necessarily relating to this roster. Uh, there was a comment about JT. I just want to be clear. JT already had a contract for next season. There was no option. He's not in an option year. So it wasn't a question as to whether they brought him back or not. Um, he's on a contract. Um, however, the good chance is that he will be out all next season or a significant portion of next season, at least. Uh, do you think that, uh, they make the decision to, you know, go, uh, with a Emi Ochoa, or do you think that they go pick up kind of an MLS backup, maybe look in the draft potentially for, for a decent goalkeeper? Uh, where do you, where do you think they go from here? Um, start with, uh, let me start with Robert on this one. Robert, what are your what are your thoughts on the goalkeeper position? Um, every every MLF, every MLS offseason, you get a few guys that have some experience that are available. Um, look no further than former Earthquakes players that uh, we've seen play between the sticks over the last couple seasons. Uh, and I think that's where you see the Quakes try to make a, a, a low money sa savings uh, contract is to find that third keeper. Maybe CJT put on to uh, whatever the equivalent of injured reserve is at this point if they don't feel that it's, it's legitimate that he's going to come back. And even if he does and you have Daniel playing there, you don't really have to have him come back in, in 2024. Um, so yeah, They'll, they'll probably wait to see what other teams are doing and what other players might be available in that backup range. And uh, that would be a tidy bit of business that Leach could do. Alex? Can you bring Tommy Thompson back as a, as a goalkeeper? We've seen him play everywhere. <laughs> possible. He, he, Maybe he needs to cover every position in the, in the league. It's, yeah, it's, it's next important. Yeah. I think it's a no-brainer to bring in uh, uh, you know, a solid keeper with MLS experience. Um, you know, everybody who who I talk to that, that watches Emi Ochoa regularly is, is not convinced that, that he's ready yet to be the backup keeper. Uh, and I think it makes sense to, to bring in somebody who you can be confident in. So you might be able to get, if, if you're able to get like a top, you know, two or three keeper in the draft, maybe you feel confident in that. But, but I think more likely they just, they just go with an MLS veteran who's, who's been around the block a few times. Colin, anything there? 
Totally agree. Uh, Amy Ocha, remember everybody was signed when he was 14 years old. Um, you know, they they knew he was a and goalkeeper, of course, is the position that traditionally develops the slowest uh, of all those field of positions. So it's not surprising necessarily. But yeah, no, I, Ochoa, from what I've heard and from what I've seen, I don't think is like necessarily ready. Um, although some teams do like to scrimp and save on the backup goalkeeper position because it's a relatively low value position until it isn't. You know, of course, we know that there are times when, you know, when your number one goes down, it can be very valuable to have somebody who's decent. Um, but it's generally a lower value position. So I wouldn't be stunned if they just handed the gloves to Emi Ochoa. But I, I do think that it's a worthwhile place to kind of go for a reserve type keeper. Um and, you know, it could be anybody. And I will say, I will repeat the story because we've heard it several times over the course of this show's history. But, you know, the prior front office basically decided, well, we have Emmy Ochoa around, so let's get rid of Drake Callender. Um, and the current front office people were still a part of the organization. And I know to a man that they were, were not a fan of that decision. And it still kind of sticks in their craw um, that, they, that they sent Callender away for so little. Um, so... You know, it, I, that's apropos of nothing. It's, you know, that is in the past, but it is something that kind of sticks with you. It's like, shit, that would have been really nice to have, you know, have Drake Callender on the roster. Yeah, I, uh, but, I, it, I think, but it is I hard, think, by the way, to have Callender and Marcinkowski and you know, Daniel. Daniel. If, Callen had, if Callender had been on the roster, we we never would have gotten Danielle. They would not have gotten Nick on Right, right, right. So, so, so now that, you know, the, but, the, but sliding, that been, okay. the sliding doors that have put us into where we are, I do think, you know, you just try to get a reserve. Uh, the MLS, MLS draft is actually not a terrible place to get a player of that dimension. Depends on who's in. I haven't looked at the draft this year at all. All right. Okay, guys, final thoughts so we can let uh, Colin get out of here. Uh, Alex, start with you. Yeah, first of all, I want to thank everyone for, for joining us tonight. Uh, we have a great audience tonight. Appreciate all of you for being so engaged and for, for pushing us on some of the deeper roster questions here. I want to wish everybody a happy holiday season. Uh, I don't know, unless we get like a major DP signing, this is probably our, what, what, what would it take to bring us back, Jamin? Uh, a, a fourth I, DP announcement would definitely bring Colin back to, to talk about it. Well, so what are they saying? Holly, They're saying, <laughs> what, what's the date no, for that? No, some people, I'm not some going back. Talk, say, say, some people are saying that in the chat, so I'm just, I just thought. Just because, it, yeah, just because there's a slot doesn't get me back. I, I think that the DP signing <laughs> is what it would take to get me back. There well, go. if there's another Colin slot, there better be some DP signings. Signing. Uh, so, <laughs> All that's to say, wish wish everyone a, a happy holiday season. Um, you know, hope that that everyone is safe and sound and spending lots of time with uh, your loved ones. Uh, and yes, that uh, uh, you know, everyone, uh, if you if you are looking for a, a, you know a holiday gift for your friends and family, mm. uh, do we have a way to gift a, a Quake's Epicenter Patreon subscription, Jamin? People should that, be able to do that. Yeah, Patreon is not really good for that kind of stuff, so. They're, I think they've added something more recently. There, there is the opportunity if people want to check things out to to do the uh, uh, to to uh, do the trial thing. Um, just let us know if you sign up for a trial because we don't really get notified through the normal routes, um, and that way we can make sure that you get access to the Slack and can try out everything that that you want to about uh, about the offering. But yeah, it's we Patreon is not good for gifting. Um, stuff like that, unfortunately. Yeah. But okay. well, I, I feel like this this episode has been a lot of housekeeping. You know, trying to figure out okay where we're at at the twenty twenty end of the twenty twenty three season, uh, and you know, 
Next is the exciting part. Next is figuring out who's going to be that DP number 10. Who's going to be, are they going to get that DP left winger as well? Uh, where are they going to add to this team to make it significantly better? So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to 2024 and spending uh, a lot more time with uh, you gentlemen and, and everyone in the audience in uh, the next year. Robert? Yeah, I echo a lot of that. Uh, also want to kind of point out that, uh, you know, if we look at last season, last offseason, rather, with Danielle coming in and, and Carlos Correso were the, were the two, you know, the players that uh, stepped into the starting 11. Well, actually, Danielle did not start into the starting, you know, step into it. He, he became a starter as he kind of became accustomed. So the Quakes will need to make at least one or two of those types of signings to, uh, to, to, to make even incremental improvement. And I'll come back to talk about whoever, uh, whoever Chris Leach is able to find for that. But one last shout out for uh, both Nate Nathan and Jack Scan want to see him back in Quakes Black and Blue next season. So, Leach, I know you always watch to the end of the show. So, uh, do, us, <laughs> do us all a solid and make sure both of those guys are signed up. You think he, you think he watched watched past the part where we blamed him for the Matthew Hoppy situation? Yeah, yeah, he he, under, he understands. Just like yeah, he, he wants he, to talk to you, Alex. Remember, <laughs> you and he are supposed to have a nice little conversation. So, I think you should bring that up. There we yeah, go. There we go. Bring it up. on that one. <laughs> Yeah, bring, bring back Scan and Nathan. Okay, there's a there's a slogan in there somewhere. All right. Well, so I want to wish everyone happy holidays. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Great audience for like not announcing this until about three hours beforehand. And of course, that's Do I get a last thought? That's yeah. on me. I think you already had the last thought. Colin, go for your last thought. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. Um, no, it's totally fine. I'm a, ter I'm a terrible uh, host. Bring Phil. Back. I'm going to, no, I, I'm going to insist just to, to kind of give, you know, I, I think that there's times throughout the season that I had a fairly dour, you know, outlook kind of to offer fans because they, they were a bit stuck in terms of their roster. And, you know, therefore down the stretch, I was kind of giving, you know, I would say a, a fairly sober estimate of, of what was going on. I want to change that narrative here. And this is why I, I interrupted Jamin here and insisted on my, my last Thank thought. You. Um, uh, look, this is Leech season three. We're going into Leech season three. We're going into Lucci season two. Um, that's when you would hope that your front office and your manager are kind of hitting their stride. You know, I think that they're the first season for Leech, you know, you could say that's a wash with the Almeida final season blow up disaster. And, you know, Lucci in his first year, coaches do usually kind of as long as they have a competent first year, you're not going to get on too hard. This is where you're going to, you know, potentially watch them hit their stride. Uh, and I think that I actually have a certain amount of faith that they can. Uh, and a big clear out for the roster is the step one of that happening. That does not mean that they're going to make all the right moves to fill in the right gaps, to push the right buttons, to get the right roster that they want for next year. But this is the necessary first step. Uh, and it sets the table for there's a lot of things open. You know, they only have one U22 slot utilized out of three right now. And if they sell Cade Cowell, they have all three. They'll have a bunch of GAM. They'll have, they already have one designated player spot open. They have, uh, you know, three to $4 million in, in GAM, TAM, and, and cap resources to allocate towards things. They've set the table to enable themselves to make some, some positive moves. If they can make, and they've consistently made pretty good moves. You know, I, I might go do a post-mortem on their moves, you know, later on this off season, if I, if I can find the time to write it up, but you know, they've set themselves the table to do something decent. Um, and in a second year of a coach who now knows his players and knows what he wants to go do and a front office that has a kind of a, a, an open table to to put stuff on, 
you know, this is where you could imagine them taking a leap from being a very mediocre team who's just barely squeaking in the playoffs to like maybe a, a serious playoff team. And so I, I have a certain amount of faith in that this offseason. So I'm excited to watch it happen. Colin, I, I appreciate the role you play in the show because you're a little bit like The Undertaker. You kind of creep around the edges until, you know, something has has been finalized, something's finished, and then you swoop in and you give us the, the postmortem, the last word. So, so we, we, we appreciate that. Alex, I thought you didn't watch wrestling. We're going to have to work on this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, again, uh, happy holidays to everyone. Thank you so much. This is the end of our third year uh, as a show. Of course, Colin started the Aftershock several years ago. Colin, what year did you start the show? 2015. 2015. And, and, the, uh, and not the same original format. It was a one-man show back in the day. But we appreciate him you know, allowing us to use this. But uh, really being able to bring back the Aftershock in this most, mostly post-game format, um, you know, I feel that, uh, you know, three years is, is a good start, but I think we've got some more in us and, uh, a big thanks to, to Alex, to Robert, to Colin and, uh, to Phil, who are, uh, our main crew, uh, throughout the year, Asher Cohn, uh, giving us always those uh, radical thoughts in the chat, um, even though he's not on the show these days. And, um, but, uh, hopefully, uh, Phil, uh, happy holidays to you. And, uh, he's in New York right now. Uh, doing what Phil likes to do, which is checking out uh, checking out Broadway productions. So um, hopefully he's uh, enjoying himself. Otherwise, he would have loved to have joined tonight as well. But um, we'll be back next year, of course. Um, and hopefully, uh, all of you guys will sign on for another year. But uh, you know, we'll talk. We'll talk in the offseason. Yeah, where's that, where's my contract extension? Where's my yeah. option deal? I, I thought there was significant. There's supposed to be significant doesn't, like doesn't, pay raises in those. Right? Doesn't kick. Doesn't kick in until we get to a thousand. Uh, subs, Alex. Yeah, so, that's a good uh, one. We, good we transition. To, uh, need to get uh, over those thousand subs first. But um, no, I, I appreciate everyone. Uh, for everyone who's able to, thanks for hanging in there and contributing to the Patreon, even during the off season. Uh, that does go to help us defray costs coming into next season. Very important uh, for us to be able to keep that coming in if you're able to. Of course, the Slack is always open. A lot of you uh, are active in that. And uh, we will be back probably in January. Um, as soon as we start to see uh, new signings in. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, to talk more about that soon. Real quick on the Patreon, if you are new around here, uh, we do have a Patreon, quakesepicenter.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash quakesepicenter. Either one of those, you can uh, go there. Uh, $2 is the uh, smallest amount. Uh, if you give that to us, it's because you like us, because, you know, Colin and I will write articles maybe once or twice a year. Um, I wrote three last offseason. I might go for three again. Um, and uh, so uh, so we don't write articles all that much anymore because we got the show. Um, but if you enjoy the show and uh, and want to contribute, you know, that's a great way to do it. If you want access to our Slack, $5 gets you the access to the Slack. And then uh, $15 if you just got a lot of money and want to throw more at us. Uh, we will definitely uh, love to be able to come back and, and do another season of this next season. So looking forward uh, to that. And uh, with that, I think our show for tonight is done. Anything final, guys? We're good. Happy holidays, nice everyone. Nice to see you all. Happy holidays.